So we are in the midst of a series called Faithful. It's about how we might be like those people that no matter what the circumstances come their way, just feel solid in their faith. You know, whether it's the diagnosis of cancer or the terrible loss of a loved one, even though they might express extreme grief, there's this sense of abiding hope and sort of fullness in their life, even amidst hard circumstances. And you know who I'm talking about, some of the people that will say something like, well, God is still good. Not that God's going to change the circumstance, not that it's like going to like all of a sudden magically get better, but just still, no matter what, have this faith. Or perhaps this time in your life when you just felt like you were like going on all cylinders and really connecting, growing, learning more about what it means to follow Jesus day by day, and you're just engaged and things are going well. So this, this is what I'm talking about, this faithful experience. We began by talking about uh, one of the five catalysts, and that first one was practical teaching. One, it's to put yourself in a place where someone might teach you in practical terms, you know, so it's not just pie in the sky or some, you know, kind of long lecture about the theologies of God, but that you might understand and do. It's not just enough to listen to the word, James says, but you must be doers of the word as well. And Jesus emphasized this over and over again with his parables, meeting people where they're at, not with an attempt to surprise them with what he knows, but in a hope that they might be different, to, to change itself. So practical teaching, that you would put to practice teaching. Last week, we talked about an essential component to anyone who's either faithful, like kind of like that foundation or really growing, and that is a providential relationship. And we talked about how we don't know when those are going to happen, but they happen and they change us. And we all can think of that one person or those multiple people in the story of our lives that we cannot imagine our life being the same without. This morning, we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more not as fun. It's a word called discipline. And I know when you hear the word discipline, you start, you know, get up, ready to go, you know, move to the left in the name of Jesus, right? Move to the right in the name of the Lord. We're all excited about this word. But I imagine, though, that this is probably true for you, that motives do not determine outcomes. Do you know that? Every morning, I wake up with the best intentions to be the best version of myself, only to wake up the next morning to hope the same for that day, right? I wake up with the motive and the attitude that I got this, I'm going to nail it, I'm going to crush every component of life, only to realize that, yeah, I probably fell short, you know, I lost my temper with kids, or I didn't get all the emails done I wanted to get done, or whatever it is that was like crushing it for you that day. Your intentions might have started really well, but they, well, did not determine the outcome necessarily. So your motive and your sort of attitude don't determine outcomes. In fact, there's something that's a little bit ironic that sometimes in life, it's the things that we feel we ought to do, that we do on a regular basis, eventually determine our lives a little bit more. And not just that, but they also can often become things that we love to do. The things that we ought to do can become the things that we love to do. So I grew up running cross country, 
I know, which is really surprising by the makeup of my body, right? You know, just a slender, tall guy. So I grew up running cross country, and for whatever reason, I despised one of the workouts that we had to do, going into the weight room. I don't know what it was. It was maybe it was just like I just didn't bench press as much as other people or whatever it was. I just couldn't stand it. Little leg workouts, they like hurt my legs. I mean, just, I just couldn't do it. But then at one point, and I know I've, I've kind of ha- ran out of this discipline with kids in the young household, but at one point I decided, okay, I, I'm good at long distance running, you know, I feel like my cardio is good, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to need something called muscles, right? And I know that they're saying, and Kevin Lockett's here with this this morning, and he would, you know, can, uh, attest to the fact that you got to build your muscles, otherwise you're going to lose your muscles, no matter what age you're at, right? You got to keep on working on your muscles. And so I was living in Japan, and some of you know, and I was a uh, um, just post-college graduate student, so I had a little bit more free time, but Still, I was working full-time and, you know, had lots of excuses not to do things, even like run. And eventually I said, okay. My roommate at the time, he went to the gym and, you know, he was looking all like fit and strong. And I said, all right, I'm going to painfully do this. And, And every day I thought of exactly the perfect excuse for me not to go to the gym that day, right? Oh, it's raining out and I have to bike home and it's just not worth it today. So I went, you know, home that day and didn't do it that day. But eventually I got in the rhythm of lifting weights three days a week, which I know, you know, it's just three days a week, but it was a consistent rhythm for me. And I did it throughout the duration of my time in Japan. And you know what happened by the end of my time in Japan when I came home and I started, you know, moved back to the United States and I got a job and I was driving, commuting? I kept working out. It was the strangest thing. I had learned to love it. I went to divinity school and I would spend the most significant times of prayer in between my reps because I would find it a time when I could just sit there. I didn't want to talk to anyone in that moment. And for whatever reason, the discipline of what I ought to do became something I love to do. And, and now I just, we started, Ashley and I started working out a little bit. Uh, we fell off a few weeks ago, but we started working out for about a month and a half and I was getting back into that rhythm and I was just remembering that feeling of how good it felt and how I really missed doing it. I would go running a lot still. I would go on some swims, but I missed working out. And so what I began as something I ought to do became something I love to do, and in fact, even will miss to do later. And I imagine that that's somewhat similar for some of us, right? You can think of that thing, and perhaps it's exercise, or perhaps it's, you know, giving up soda, which I did in college, and then now when I, like, try to drink it, I'm like, Mm, no, it's too sweet. I don't like it. You know, like the kids will say, oh, why don't you like it? I just don't like it anymore. My tastes had changed. That's what habits do. And now let me tell you uh, another thing is that said no one in their faith journey ever that I know that is faithful, that does not have some sense of discipline in their faith journey whether it's joining us online in the midst of the pandemic consistently, whether it's being here in the sanctuary, corporate worship is a discipline, right? It's it's something we can do to build that rhythm, and perhaps at some point in your life, you're like, Mom, Dad, I don't want to go anymore. This, This is awful. They are so boring. Whatever it is that you have to say, eventually it might become something that it's been hard for us over the past year thinking about worshiping without being in 
this space to worship. What was what we ought to do became what we wanted to do. And now, friends, I'm going to speak to the Methodists in the room for just a minute and at home, is that there's something that, uh, two things that I've learned about some of these people called Methodists, having become a Methodist. It's one is that we are people that might pray silently, but we don't pray abundantly, right? Okay, it's just one thing, just an observation. I remember I was leading a small group, and I was saying, okay, hey, Hathaway, can you pray and he's like, I don't know, I don't know about that. Eventually he did, and he later told me that was the first time he had ever prayed out loud beyond the dinner table. And I, I didn't grow up in the church, but I fell into the church in high school, and I'd prayed a lot, whether it was at the uh, evangelical churches I was at, the Assemblies of God churches, and so it blew my mind that here this person was that didn't really have this sort of robust prayer life, but was at worship every single Sunday of the year. Another thing I have learned is that we are sometimes not the people that open our Bibles or bring them with us places on a regular basis. For some of us, it's a, the dusty thing on the shelf that we have, and for others of us, we open it every day. And it's, not, it's just a generalization. It's just, I'm not blaming us in the room for something. It's just that it's interesting because did you know that we began our journey as Christians called Methodists, with a very methodical way of being Christians. In fact, that's how we got our name. John Wesley was dealing with, at the time, John and Charles, people that would just kind of show up to the Anglican churches in England at the time, and and they said, we're going to spread scriptural holiness across the land, and one of the ways they did it was through disciplines in people's lives. In fact, the first gatherings of uh, Methodists um, they weren't called Methodists at the time. They just thought of themselves as Christians or Anglicans, but they would show up to their what they called class meetings with cards. And it was a, a, like a punch card. You know, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? And some of those were private, like reading your Bible and praying, and some of them were acts of service. Like, did you do some, an act of kindness? Like, did you visit someone in prison? Did you feed the homeless or the hungry? You know, did you do those things? It was a checklist, and that's how we became known as the Methodists, because we had a method. And I know that not all of us are Methodists in the room. Some of us don't even know what that word means still and don't know what we think about sort of denominations and all of that madness at some point. But I mentioned earlier this morning about our rules that we have. And this is actually just, I think, pretty universal, but I didn't grow up in the Methodist church, fell into it through graduate school, and I learned to love components of it, you know? Things that you ought to do become something that you love. Well, one of the things is these three general rules. Do no harm. Do all the good you can in all circumstances. And then the last one is a little bit more confusing, but it's what we're talking about today. Participate in the means of grace as much as possible. Do no harm. Do all the good you can. Participate in the means of grace as much as possible. Jesus, when he was going out and doing good in the community, he would go out and he would heal, he would go out and he would teach, and you would think just at the point in the Gospels when he's sort of building the energy and the momentum to everyone's chatting about him, everyone's talking about him, everyone wants to meet him and be healed by him and learn under him and do all of those things, just at that time, what does he do? 
he retreats. Just in the very moment that you'd think that you would capitalize on the sort of excitement around you, he would retreat to a time of prayer. That even Jesus understood this balance in our life that was pivotal, that there was something foundational about private disciplines in our faith journey that just can't be left to the side or forgotten. No matter how exciting it is, no matter how like, great we feel like we're doing, private disciplines ought to be part of our faith journey. Because said no one ever that you looked at their faith and it was really that faithful, whether it's grown real fast or really foundational, that they have no private practices that they discipline themselves to. Whether it's coming to worship on a regular basis, whether it's praying every morning before, you know, you open up your news or your Facebook feed or your whatever it is, whether it's reading the Bible regularly. Being faithful requires personal, private disciplines. And I think that this is one of the things that I, the pandemic has challenged us with, is that's been our, one of our only ways. We've been able to gather, but I know for a lot of us it's not the same. And even still, over the past couple months, we've been like releasing some of the restrictions. It still didn't feel the same. We didn't have coffee hour in the same way that we did. We haven't been able to have the expansive Sunday school programs. And I know for some of us that's really hard. But you know that for John and Charles Wesley, and even for Jesus for that matter, worship was a component of the list of private disciplines. Worship's there. Jesus found himself in the synagogue. Jesus was at the temple. But it was not the entirety of his faith. And I have met friends that I know that went to church regularly, but lacked any sense of personal commitment to their faith beyond going to church on Sunday. And, you know, we know those people, and eventually the, the habit might fall off, whether it's because they have kids or whether they're sports in the morning or on Sunday mornings, but eventually the habit falls off, and, you know, eventually they just have really no need because they didn't have these other disciplines in their life that kind of call them back. And they find themselves disconnected to their faith because the Sunday morning peace had left. So if Sunday morning is your peace of personal devotion, that is awesome. But do not let it be your only. Pray is another one. Jesus found himself praying on a regular basis. And if you don't know how to pray, like I had that friend who prayed around the dinner table, that was pretty much his prayer life. I mean, other than that, that was the most structure he had had, never prayed out loud, and you know, never, didn't really know what to do with that time. We can talk about that. And it can be as simple as what we did earlier. Instead of the call to worship, just postured ourselves differently, put our hands open, and breathed for a few seconds. Sitting in some silence is a, a way to have a discipline. And friends, it is a discipline, especially in our fast-paced culture where you always have something that can entertain you, distract you, something to do, even when we're locked in our homes during this pandemic at times. 
But to sit in God's presence is a personal devotion. To sing songs is one of the means of grace that Wesley talked about. Means of grace is really a fancy word for saying the the disciplines that you can instill in your life that become that faith foundation for you. Ways to respond to God's grace. Corporate worship, personal prayer, service of others. And another one, friends, that I'm going to encourage us, because I know that some of us fall out of the habit, is read the Bible. Now, friends, do not start to read the Bible in Genesis, okay? Because you're going to start in Genesis, and it starts really interesting, and then it gets a little bit crazy with the Nephilim and all kinds of other stuff, and you start getting confused, and then all sorts of other stuff, and then it turns into some names, and don't start in Genesis. I'm not, I love Genesis, one of my favorite books. Don't start there, because then you're going to go to, you know, Exodus, and you go to Deuteronomy, and you go to Numbers, and you go to Leviticus, you go to all these parts that you're going to get lost very quickly. If you start reading the Bible for, again, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and you start in Genesis. Start, perhaps, in the Gospels. Start in the Gospels and remind yourself of the stories. And if you haven't opened the Bible ever, and you haven't opened the Bible in a long time, you'll know what many of us know, which is that the Bible can be confusing at times. And the Bible says all kinds of things that you're not quite sure what Jesus was talking about even, or you're not sure what others, how does this apply to me? You know, Brian, you talked about practical teaching, and Jesus is saying, well, even the dogs have food to eat at the table. I have no idea what he meant by that. I remember when I opened the Bible for the first time, and I remember I had a ton of questions. If you go to the Bible to assume that you will find clarity, you will be very disappointed. Because the Bible isn't always clear exactly what it (laughs) looks like for you. In fact, but what the Bible can do by reading it regularly is the Bible can put you in this place where the people of the Bible were. A place where they were listening to God and responding to God. Karl Barth, uh, a theologian I mentioned many times, talks about it as the strange new world within the Bible. We focus so much on what does this mean and what's the, what did it actually mean to the disciples or whatever it is. You know, we go back to the history of it and we got to find the facts of it and we got to, you know, figure out that clarity in it. But the, most of the premise about the Bible is about putting us in the place of this story of faith and hearing those stories so that we might follow in that tradition. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we gather around the table every single Sunday. Or not every, well, we gather around the table every single Sunday. We eat communion once a month together, but we gather there. And when we celebrate the great Thanksgiving, we tell the story. Every single time, I do it in a different way. If you haven't noticed, I tell the story of God's people. Which, of course, some of us think to myself, I wasn't a slave in Egypt, or, you know, I wasn't wandering in the desert, or I wasn't doing these things. But when you read the Bible, those stories become our stories. Those who searched in the desert and longed for a land of milk and honey become our stories. And they become this time for you to question and to ruminate and to grow in your faith, 
Not that you'll find clarity in all of it. In fact, I have read the Bible a lot, and all I seem to find sometimes is more questions. But that's part of the journey, isn't it? Is growing and asking and learning. The first time I prayed was because I was told to pray. I said, go out where I camp and pray. And I remember I, I, I sat there and I said, well, God, I guess I don't really know what I'm doing, and I don't really know that you're up there, but apparently all these camp leaders say you are. And here's the deal, because I'd been introduced to, like, God earlier that year, and I'd started going to Young Life, things like that. I kind of slid back on that and started hanging out with the wrong crowd again and doing the things that the wrong crowd had done. And so I went to camp, and I, I sat there, and I prayed for the first time. And I said, okay, well, if you're real, I guess these are the things I'm going to try to do. I'll go to church and youth group. I'll pray and I'll read my Bible. And friends, I didn't even know I believed at that point. But that was one of the most faith-forming times in my life, period. What I felt I ought to do or determined I'll give it a shot for a while became something that changed my life. So I don't know where you're at if you don't like the Bible because of all the patriarchy or whatever it is in it that you don't like. It's just confusing. Okay. But read it. Give it a shot. Ask the questions. Put yourself in this journey of faith so that we might together be faithful. Worship, pray, read your Bible. And you'd be surprised at how the things that weren't so appealing can become things that you can't imagine without. So I want you, friends, to commit to, with that with me. If you're here or you're online, you got Sunday morning down. Let's keep that going. Good job. But choose another discipline, okay? One other, just one, with me. Whether it's waking up in prayer whether it's reading your Bible. And let's do it for a little bit of time together, okay? Don't start crazy. Don't read through the Bible in a month. Just read a few verses. Start in the Gospels, if that's what you're going to choose, and go through, I don't know, let's see, Gospel of Luke. That was the Gospel this morning. Let's do it over the next three weeks. Let's read through the Gospel. You read more, I guarantee, in the news than you do on a regular, like in a week than you will in this three weeks. The Gospel is not very long. Just read the Bible. Listen to the stories. Ask the questions. And we might be surprised how those disciplines will shape us and transform us and change us. That what we ought to do becomes what we love to do. And I promise that that is one of the five things that we are talking about that is a catalyst in our faith private devotions. As simple as that. Private disciplines. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we know that we can be distracted by everything. The birds that are chirping outside, the noisy cars on the street, our Facebook feed, our TikTok reel, that's what we call it, I forget. 
help us be a people of private discipline. A personal devotions, like reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, but also people that give generously. Give to the community to serve those in need. Through our public acts of devotion as well. In either way, build in us those habits that we call disciplines that become foundational in our life, that fill us in our faith, so that no matter what comes our way, we will feel solid in the response, you are good. And that we might grow day by day in our knowledge, our love of you, and in our service and concern of our neighbors and ourselves. Audacious claims, we know, but let it begin with those small steps. Even if it feels like a step out into the water, we'll trust that each step will be a step where we walk with you, respond to your grace, and trust that we can be firm in our foundation. Even when we feel like everything around us is going chaotic, cases rising, but our feet don't fail, because our foundation is yours. Amen.